We're going to be this week in Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews 3. For those of you who were here last week, uh, I know Chuck did a great job uh, preaching in my place. Uh, Chuck and uh, Tracy and uh, Carrie and I have been good friends for a long time, and and I'm grateful for a friend like him. Uh, so, so I know he did a great job of preaching. I am not by any way saying that he didn't do a great job by coming back to the same chapter. Uh, I'm just trying to stay on my track. And the more that I prayed about it, the more that I realized we, we, we still needed Hebrews chapter three. So, so if you hear some things you heard last week, just know Chuck was right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and great minds think alike. I, I don't know exactly what he preached, but I know he covered a good bit of this chapter. Uh, and, and I know he did a great job. I, I want to look from a slightly different perspective than I believe he did. I think he focused in on the salvation that we have in Christ. What I want to focus more on is the person of Christ. Specifically, the book of Hebrews shows us Christ being exalted. And we looked in the first couple of chapters about how he is exalted above the angels. In chapter 3, he adds a new element to that for us to consider. His exaltation even over Moses. So we're going to stand together and we're going to read the first six verses of the chapter. But we're really going to cover the entirety of chapter 3 this morning. So stand with me as we read Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Pray with me. Father, I pray that this morning as we consider Jesus as we fix our eyes on our Savior, that all else would pale in comparison to Him. Father, focus our thoughts and our affections on Your Son. Move in this place through Your Holy Spirit. Bring glory to Your name through the preaching, the listening, and the doing of Your Word. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. We consider... Jesus this morning. And when we do, we look at him through a lens of Moses. Now Moses, Moses is a very interesting character. Uh, this year, as, as, uh, as I do at the beginning of every year, I, I began another Bible reading plan to take me through the Bible in a year. Some years I don't finish it. Some years I do. This year I'm hoping to finish it early. I'm hoping to actually get there before the 12-month mark. This would be something usually I'm cramming at the last minute trying to get it all in because I fall behind. But this year I'm actually trying to get ahead. I've read through Genesis and Exodus and I'm in Leviticus now. And one thing that I'm noticing is just this guy Moses. When we look at him in 
in uh, Sunday school classes as little kids, we see Moses on this very one-dimensional sort of look. Like here is this guy that is always saying what God says. Here is this guy that's always doing what God tells him to do. And there is that one time when he hits the rock instead of talking to it. You know, he fails. Everybody messes up. But for the most part, we see this guy, Moses, as this one-dimensional character of someone who is just basically a copy and paste what God says. You know, uh, God gives his law, so Moses comes and he brings the law to the people. God says, this is, this is what you're to do. So Moses said, oh, we go this way. And then everybody kind of follows along. What we often fail to realize is that Moses is a real person. He's dealing with real emotions. He's dealing with real problems. Boy, does he have problems. Have you ever tried leading two million people through a wilderness? I haven't. I had a hard enough time being an assistant manager of a Walgreens. I'm telling you, leading 30 people is tough. Two million? We know... uh, we don't know exactly how many there were, but two millions of probably a good estimate. This guy's got some problems. He's got some difficulties. And he is not perfect. He is not some kind of like celestial being that has been put on this earth to do this purpose. He is a real guy with real struggles. He has to deal with a father-in-law that's giving him advice that he didn't ask for. Of course, it happened to be good advice and he happened to take it, and it worked really well. I'm not going to say what that means in application to us. <laughs> Here is a guy, Moses, who deserves glory because he's a faithful servant of God. And I think we ought to take a second and just, just for a second, just for a second, look at the life of Moses and see how he does this. We see him leading God's people. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a leader, but in order to lead, there is a crucial element, something that you cannot miss. You absolutely have to have this one thing if you are to be a leader, and that is people following you. You can do, you can read all the books. You can have all the techniques down. You can have the right, you can have great speech writers or be a great speech writer. And have excellent delivery. But if nobody's walking behind you, you are not leading. Moses led God's people. They are actually following behind him. When God calls Moses, he says, I'm going, I have heard the cries of my people. I am going to send you to go bring my people out of Egypt. You know what that required? That required him going into Egypt and then coming back out of Egypt with a whole bunch of people following his lead. That meant he had to earn their trust. He goes to the leaders and he says, this is, I I encountered God. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you what he told me. And the leaders are like, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. Pretty soon the leaders are like, why did you bring this trouble on us? Because as soon as he goes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, no, you know what? Y'all aren't busy enough. Y'all should have to make more bricks, but uh, uh, we're not going to give you straw anymore. So you go get your own straw and make your own bricks because you obviously have enough time to dream up these schemes of leaving. You obviously aren't busy enough. And then they're saying, how come you brought this trouble on us? Well, wait a second. Wait a second. I thought we were going gung-ho. I thought we were all doing this. He had to lead God's people. He couldn't just say, everybody, let's go. And everybody came. He had to stand for them, fight for them, plead with them. We see him leading God's people all the way in out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, 
And we see him walking up the mountain and he's getting the words of God. And then he takes that law and he comes to the people and he says, this is what God has said. We see him delivering the law to the people. Now, the word Torah is what we often use to talk about the first five books of the Bible. It's a Hebrew word. It means law. But Torah, uh, it's kind of interesting because uh, letters aren't just letters in Hebrew. They're also numbers. If you have a number, the way you represent it is by using letters. You know, Roman numerals does this, okay? So if you remember Roman numerals from school, you kind of have this idea. In Hebrew, they did something similar to that. The word Torah, Ta, Resh, He, are the three Hebrew letters. If you put those letters into numbers and add them up, you get 613. Anybody want to guess how many laws God gave the people of Israel? 613. Is that, you think that might be a coincidence? Now, first of all, that's a lot of laws, isn't it? It's nothing compared to the Alabama Constitution, but, you know, we have the longest constitution that's still in active use in the world in this state, by the way. Did you know that? Anyway, that's a freebie. I won't charge that for that one. 613 laws, and Moses delivers every single one of them. God doesn't give them to Aaron to give to the people. God doesn't give them to anybody else. He's not giving them to the elders. He's given them all directly to Moses, and it's Moses' job to deliver them to the people. Not only does he deliver God's law, but you know, sometimes God says things that aren't necessarily all that the people need to hear anyway. Things about how, what his character is like, how they are to follow God, how they are to repent of their sins. Things that aren't exactly law, but are still the word of God. And we see him, we hear him, we, we walk alongside of him as he's speaking God's word to God's people too. So he's leading the people, he's delivering the law, he's speaking the words of God. We see him judging cases, letting them know what the will of God is. In fact, he judges so many cases that that father-in-law's advice is, get you some other judges. This is too much for you. He is a faithful servant to God. And I think sometimes we discount just what a difficult task that is. Can I, can I give you some encouragement? If you're finding it hard to do what God wants you to do, you know it, you hear it, you, you strive for it, but it's so difficult because sometimes your back is just weak. Sometimes you just can't do the things you used to do. Sometimes you just have problems that come up and, and all kinds of difficulties get in the way and it's hard to follow God's word. Can I give you some encouragement this morning? It is never, never, never a piece of cake to be a faithful servant to God, but he always, always, always gives you the strength to be able to do it. And sometimes you might think, I don't have enough strength. You're absolutely right. That's why he gives you some, because you need it. Let me give you an encouragement this morning that if it's difficult for you to do what God wants you to do, it's okay that it's difficult. Let him strengthen you. Moses is a faithful servant, not because he's such a great guy, but because he is constantly having to rely on God for the strength to do what God's called him to do. As good as Moses is, though, he's not Jesus. As good as he is, as faithful as he is as a servant in all of God's house, the writer of Hebrews tells us, he's just not Jesus. You see, Moses deserves glory. Jesus deserves more glory. In fact, he deserves more glory because he's the faithful son 
He's not just a servant. He's not just a hired hand that God has brought in to help do the work that He wants to do. He is the Son of God. Look in verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. You might have missed it, but in verse 5 it says that Moses was faithful in all God's house. But verse 6 tells us that Christ is faithful over God's house. Now which one is better? The one that's in or the one that's over? I work as a team member at a Chick-fil-A. I am part of the team. I am in the team. But I am not over the team. I do not have the managerial responsibility of making sure that the team is doing everything it needs to do. There's a shift leader. There's a director. There's an owner. And that owner ultimately has authority that I do not have. I can't just give out free food, so quit asking, Daryl. <laughs> he asked me today, he said, are, are there going to be, uh, I was telling him we have, uh, we have books for the, for the upcoming men's study. We're, we're about to hit the end of our book and go to the next book, and, and I went ahead and ordered those and, and was telling him about it, and he said, are they going to come with Chick-fil-A gift cards? And I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do. When people use their gift cards and get all the money off of them, I will save those gift cards and bring them to them. So you're going to get some Chick-fil-A gift cards. I do not have the authority because I'm just part of the team. The owner has the authority. It's the same way when we look at Moses and Jesus. Moses is part of the team, and he is a faithful part of the team, and he is a great part of the team, and he is certainly an encouragement to us as we seek to be servants of God ourselves, as part of that same household of God. But we and he are not over the house. Jesus Christ is over the house. And so as much glory as we deserve when we are faithfully serving God, Jesus deserves far more glory than we do. Because He is the Son of God. Not only does He lead God's people like Moses did, He redeems God's people. He's not... Moses may have been the one that brought them out of Egypt, but who really brought them out of Egypt? God Himself did. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, doing works of miracles and mighty works, God brought His people out of Egypt. And Jesus Christ brings us out of the slavery to sin, doesn't He? Because by His mighty works on the cross, dying for our sins and rising from the grave, He brings us out of that slavery. He doesn't just lead us out. He yanks us out. Boy, that's a picture, isn't it? You ever yank your kid out of something? Like they're running out into the street and you yank them back. That's what Christ does for us in the slavery to sin. He pulls us out. He redeems us, pays the price to rightfully buy us out. That's what redeem means. He doesn't just deliver God's law. He fulfills God's law. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he does every jot and every tittle. For those of you who don't know, the jot is the cross of a T. The tittle is the dot of an I. He crosses all the T's and he dots all the I's of the law. Every single bit of it fulfilled in him. He, he doesn't just speak God's word. He is God's word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his, not just glory, glory. We, every single bit of it. 
When we look at Jesus Christ, we see the glory of God. So he, he deserves far more glory than some Moses guy. Moses is a great example. We should strive to follow in Moses' footsteps as faithful servants of God. But even more than that, we should be striving to be conformed to the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. So Moses deserves some glory, but Jesus deserves much, much more glory. So what does that have to do with me? I mean, it's, it's great to think about the theology of all this. It's, think, it's great to kind of walk through this and, and consider Moses and look at Jesus and consider both of them and, and, and see that Jesus is so much better. That's wonderful. That makes us feel great. Man, it gives us something to, 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 to really think about. But is that it? I mean, does it have no practical application to life? I, I dare say, if Jesus deserves this much glory, maybe... Maybe, just just wild thought here, okay? I know this is going to be strange. I know it's going to be weird. It's something you never would have even considered, but but maybe just throw this out there just as as something to to maybe think about sometime, perhaps. Maybe we ought to give him some glory. Don't you think? If he deserves glory, maybe we ought to actually do that. (laughs) I keep saying maybe, as if we really have the option you see, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We don't, get, we don't get the option in the very end, but we do have the option to join now instead of later. To bow now, surrendering to him rather than later being crushed under him. You see, God isn't so much interested in what you can do. He's interested in you surrendering your will to his. Some people want to make a big deal on whether people have free will or whether God sovereignly makes everything happen. I'm just going to tell you, free will is is not worth anything if you don't surrender it to God. It's just not worth anything at all. How How do we give Jesus glory? What do we do? Well, I think I think the first thing we ought to do, consider him. We read that back in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Now, this is not consider as, think about it a little bit. This is not consider as, weigh all your options and just see if Jesus works out for you. This isn't try a little bit of Jesus on your toast to see, see if it tastes good. Here, just take a bite, see if you like it. This isn't the considering we're talking about. This word consider means to devote yourself to thinking about something with such an intensity that you are going to investigate every nook and cranny to make sure, make sure you know it inside and out. This considering is more than just trying it out. This considering is devoting yourself. This is, maybe mull it over might be a little bit better. You know mull it over. I'll tell you what, you might not know mull it over. How about this? How about this? Do you know how you feel about something when you worry about it? Okay? Now take out that thing and put in Jesus. That's what you ought to be doing. When you are obsessing over something, when, when every thought comes back to that thing and it just keeps over and over and over again and all you can do is think about that thing, put Jesus there instead of that thing and that's what this verse is telling you to do. Don't just... Think about it for a couple of minutes. Don't just weigh your options. 
Devote yourself to focus only on Jesus. Later, he says, uh, in one version in chapter 12, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's what he's saying to do here. Consider Jesus. Mull him over. Concentrate only on him. You want to give him glory? Make him the center of your attention. Make him the center of your affection. You'll bring him glory. It's funny. The things you focus on are the things that you become like. Did you know that? The things you focus on are the things you become like. If you focus on good things, you become like those good things. You focus on bad things, you become like those bad things. You focus on Christ, you're going to be more like Jesus. And that's a very good thing. In fact, there's nothing better to focus on. Consider him. Second, believe in him. You're going to give him all this attention, all this focus, all this affection. Put your trust there too. Don't just hear. Don't just think about. Take the next step. I think I've told the story before of a guy that was a tightrope artist and he, he went to Niagara Falls, set up a tightrope. And he is going to walk across the tightrope. And he asked the people, who wants to see me walk across this tightrope? And the crowds, yeah. Who wants to see me go across this tightrope with a wheelbarrow? Yeah. Who wants to see me walk across this tightrope with a person in the wheelbarrow? Yeah. Who wants to be the person in the wheelbarrow? When it comes to Jesus, I will. Will you believe in him? He says this, but he doesn't say this. In fact, he says the opposite. Don't not believe in him. He states it in the negative. Look what he says. He says, take care, brothers. This is another interesting Greek word. You know what this word means? Watch out! You, can't, you have to scream when you say it because it's so imperative. It's so intensive that you can't just say, hey, uh, you might want to take a look over there. <laughs> it's like, like you tell someone to duck. Like you really want them to duck. I don't know, maybe you don't. Hey, duck. <laughs> if Daryl ever says to you, duck, in that calm voice, you know you better duck. <laughs> this is a word that is intensive. You better be very careful. You better watch out because this is bad here. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. You see it now? He says you better watch out that none of you have an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Why? Because what happened back with Moses? Let's go back to Moses for a second. Moses is leading the people of God through the wilderness. And you know what they're doing, right? They're singing songs and they're happy and they're skipping through doing everything God wants them to do, right? Of course not. They look like a, a teenager that's been told to do chores. Ugh. Well, I have to do this. I'm thirsty. Give me some water. I'm hungry. When are we going to eat? I'm not exactly happy. We read in Psalm 95 this morning. He quotes Psalm 95 in this chapter. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion. See, there was a there's a time that a few folks basically tried to tell Moses, we're not going to follow you anymore. Of course, it turned out not so well for them. They rebelled against not, not Moses, they rebelled against God. God has a way of putting us in our place when we rebel, don't we? Doesn't he? Massah, Mirabah, places where they tested God, 
places where they rebelled against God. You see, part of the problem is that it's really easy for us to fall into that trap. It's really easy for us to rebel against God, not really trust him because, because things are hard or because we don't like the way things are going. How many times has, has, have you know that God wanted you to do something, but you just didn't want to do it because you knew it would be difficult? I know you want me to tell them about Jesus, but I've been telling them about Jesus for the last 35 years and they ain't listened to me. I know, that, I know that you want me to say something, but this guy's a total stranger. I don't want to ruin anything. I don't want to make, I, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Lord, I, I, know, I know you want me to pass on a legacy to the next generation, but I just, I, I just don't have time. I mean, you know, I've got stuff I've got to get to. Bills don't pay themselves and sink full of dishes and all kinds of all kinds of things that need to get done. You know how you know how mad my wife is going to be. You know, you know, you know my husband, he he likes things a certain way. Sometimes we rebel against God just because we don't want to do what he tells us. I mean, it's just flat out. And we may have all kinds of excuses and all kinds of reasons and all kinds of justifications in our mind, but in reality it all boils down to that same thing. We just don't want to we better be careful. Verse 16, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those, all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Do, do, do you notice there's an important word in here? It wasn't some, it wasn't just one or two. There were a few that rose up in rebellion from time to time. But, but do you notice that word all there? That word all, you know what that means? It means every single one of them. Every single one that is led out of Egypt, by this guy named Moses, every single one of them heard and rebelled. To put it the way Paul does, all have sinned. Every single one. Even Moses. That's part of the reason Jesus deserves more glory, because he was without sin. But who, who was it that rebels? The people that see the Red Sea part and that walk across the dry ground with their own two feet. The people that watch, turn around and watch as Pharaoh's army gets stuck in the mud of that same sea and then drown in the crashing waves. They're the same ones that three days later are saying, why'd you bring us out here to die of thirst? Same ones. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness. And... To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? See, God hasn't put a punishment on someone just because you're guilty by association. He doesn't punish you because your husband did something wrong or your wife did something wrong or your friend did something wrong or your son did something wrong or your dad did something wrong. He doesn't just punish the whole group because a few did something wrong. He didn't punish the whole group because a bunch of them did something wrong and there were a few who didn't. They were all disobedient. See, God's judgment is, is righteous. And who does he judge? Those who deserve it. Unfortunately, we all deserve it, don't we? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Can I go ahead and make the logical conclusion of this? We better believe or the same fate will fall us. One way we bring Jesus glory is by believing in him. We bring him glory when we do not 
resist when we do not rebel, when we do not harden our hearts. I almost called this exalted in belief or exalted in faith because of this verse right here. Because Jesus Christ is exalted in us when we put faith in him. That's what brings him glory. Another way we bring him glory, we build up his church. That's us, you and me together. We not only should believe in him ourselves, we should be helping one another too. It says it this way in verse 13, but exhort, that exhort, is another old word, it, it means build up, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is, as it is called today. You know, you know how long today lasts? Nope, no. How long does today last? Forever. It's always today. Clock goes to midnight, it's a new today. It just stays today. God has blessed us with the fact that he doesn't throw a whole week at us at one time. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine seven days all hitting you all at once? We get one day at a time, and it's a grace of God that we get one day at a time. Because sometimes even that's too much to handle. But every day is today, which means every day, every single day, we ought to be building each other up. Why? So that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, you know how, um, I don't know how Prattville's water is, but the water around Millbrook, Deedsville, uh, and it's probably the same way at y'all's house, uh, it, it's a little bit hard. And so if you, if you run your shower for a few months without cleaning it, you, it starts to get scaly and white stuff on it, right? Y'all have that at your house? No? Eh. It, it does at our house. You have that happen? That's, that's hard minerals like calcium and things like that, okay? You, you've seen it before? Those of you who don't have it now, you've seen it before? Okay, y'all are shaking your head, yeah, yeah, we, we've been there, okay. All right, so you know what I'm talking about. When we live in sin, it calcifies our hearts. But as we come together and we encourage one another and we build each other up, you know what we do? We clean off that excess calcium buildup. You didn't know this, but you scrub me. You get rid of some calcium off of me. You help me, and I help you. And together, we keep each other from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's part, that's part of why he brings us together. So let's build one another up. And when we do, Jesus gets the glory. Why? Because look around at the rest of the world, and you'll see a bunch of hard folks. People walking around with more calcium than, than a couple gallons of milk. Their hearts are hardened by sin. And when we walk around without that hardness of heart and, and people see the difference in us, it brings Jesus glory because they start saying, what is different about them and what's different is Christ. He's the one that's making the difference. And we get to play that role in each other's lives. We get, we get to... I don't want to say that we are the Jesus that other people see, but we ought to be good reflections of him. And by being together and building one another up, getting some of that calcium off and shining up that mirror, we help each other reflect Jesus better. And he is glorified in the process. Last thing, to bring him glory, we confidently hope in him. In fact, it's that confident hope that makes us part of God's house. Look back at verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. What's that original confidence in? Verse 6. If indeed 
we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Our confidence is in Christ himself. Hold firm. Not confident because you have a great grip. Confident because you're in his grip. If we'll do that, if we'll make him the center of our attention and consider him, if we'll, if we'll make him the thing in which we trust, believing in him, if we will dedicate ourselves to building each other up in his church, if we confidently put our hope in him, he will be glorified with the glory that he deserves. Others will see him glorified, will praise God, will come to trust in him. And we will see God's work done on earth as it is in heaven. But if we harden our hearts, deceived in sin, we will not enter his rest. For some of us, that means it's time for us to stop making excuses and to start living for him. For some of us, that might mean that we need to start living for him anyway. We've never surrendered. Maybe we've been to church. Maybe we've heard. Maybe we've, we've, we may have even walked an aisle and gotten wet in a baptism, but Christ hasn't done anything in us. He hasn't changed us. We haven't surrendered our heart to him. For some of us, it might be that, that maybe we've surrendered to him and life is just tough and, and we need a little help up. We need someone to pick us up, dust us off, maybe sit us in a chair, give us a little bit of water, put a little stuff on our eye to get the swelling down so we can get back in the fight. Wherever you are this morning, I, I, I pray that you are doing God's will, but I'm gonna be up here at the front to help you. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you, come. The altar's open, if you just need to pray, you come and pray. If God's calling you to do something and you don't know that you're able to do it, you, you just, you're struggling with it, or, or maybe you've been fighting it off for a long time, come. I'll be here at the front. Whatever God's doing, you be obedient to him while we sing a verse of invitation. Let's pray and then we'll sing together. Father, this is your time. You do your will in us. You work among us. We already know you dwell among us. We already know that you've promised to be with us. Now, Father, we ask you to take one more step and lead us. Direct us. Guide us into your truth, but guide us into your will. Help us to follow and obey and serve you that we may bring you the glory that you deserve. Father, this is your time. You do as you will. In Christ's name, amen.